0: This is Transistor.fm.
1: Hey, folks. Welcome back to the Product People Show. Justin Jackson here, and uh, it's good to be back. We're in the kind of final countdown. It's June 21st when I'm recording this, and my kids are already... Counting down the days until summer vacation, Uh, the days are getting warmer, the days are long, and uh, it's a good time to, you know, you're out for a walk, you're out mowing the lawn, and I figured you folks needed something to listen to. So it's time to release this interview I did with Josh Pigford. Josh is the guy behind Bear Metrics, which is uh, basically SaaS analytics on top of Stripe. And he's just been really good, especially if you follow him on Twitter, he, uh, he's been doing these tweet storms where he's super transparent about you know how he's feeling about how much revenue his company's making. Um, he got these uh, this email from a kind of a well-known VC who is maybe chiding him a little bit saying he wasn't earning enough monthly recurring revenue. and we get into all of that the feelings behind that. It's a really great interview, and I'm including the whole thing all in one shot. I know sometimes I break these into two parts, not today. As for me, I'm working on a new book. If you've ever been stuck for marketing ideas for your product and you want to try something new, you want to try something that will get you above the noise, that will get you noticed, the new book is called Jolt, and it's a series of case studies on different companies that have done surprising marketing tactics that have worked. And in each chapter, you'll get a tactic that you can try and an example of a big company that's used that tactic and a small bootstrapped company that's used that tactic. If you want more info, go to justinjackson.ca slash jolt. Now let's get into this episode with Josh Pigford. With Josh Pickford, how you how you doing, Josh? I'm doing good, Justin. How about you? I'm doing well. I uh, I've been listening to this podcast called Sleep with Me lately, and I, it sounds it sounds a lot more um, risque risque than it really is. I have an awful time getting to sleep, and this podcast is basically this talk this guy telling boring stories, and until if, you fall asleep, until you fall asleep. It's brilliant, and so I recommend that. But the problem is, I, I must have fallen asleep so quick last night that I got a crick in my neck or my back or something. So there's Lover. there's some uh, there's some secondary effects here. Uh, I like Josh a lot. Uh, he's been working on baremetrics, and before that, he was working on some other little software projects. And we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk a bit about open openness and transparency. Um. Josh, why don't we start by saying, you know, how did you get started making products? What was kind of the beginning for you?
0: Yeah, so um I I started making things in general, I mean, as a kid. Um, and I would I would say I was kind of an entrepreneurial kid. You know, I was I was the guy who like in my neighborhood, like with a marker on a poster board just tapped into my front yard, like we'll mow lawns kind of thing. Or, yeah. Um i and i I guess I always kind of looked at things that way, like um not necessarily how can I make money off of this, but like how can I make something that other people want
1: okay um, okay.
0: but then that sort of translated itself did you grow into, up in
1: a did you grow up in a like a neighborhood with a bunch of people like what was the response to that stuff when you were doing that
0: yeah I mean it was super small scale like you know like I might be mowing i had a small neighborhood. It was an, it was like a little subdivision, but it was a small subdivision. So it wasn't like they're like a thousand houses or anything. Um, I would always get some sort of response. I don't know if it was like a pity response, like, Oh, that poor kid. I'll pay him 10 bucks to my, 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 yard once. Um, but I think like that's, that's sort of translating into more, um, I guess, uh, they, it translated into stuff that would actually pan out, like I could actually make some real money off of that, in, early in college. So um, in high school, like, this, so this would have been like the late 90s in high school, um, was when I, like, I started really getting into, into um, just like the internet and, and really kind of computers and stuff in general, like
1: okay. building computers and super nerdy
0: things like that. Um,
1: How did you get into that? What was, what was the thing that kind of led you down that path?
0: It was also like a making thing, like even in, on the internet, like GeoCities and Angel Fire and stuff like that, where you know it's just like nobody. This is still early enough; like none of my friends have a clue how to do this stuff. Yeah, right? and and really the web as a whole, like there's not a lot of stuff about how to do that stuff.
1: Yeah. So I enjoyed just in general figuring things out. And uh, can you share one one? What was one of your early GeoCities or Angel Fire sites about? Uh, so it would always be it,
0: would, it was usually around like music stuff like band like like fan sites for bands, um, like I would upload like wave files that I had like ripped from the CDs of like bands that I was listening to, which was you know a hundred percent illegal. But
2: <laughs> nobody cared then, right? nobody
1: cared back then, right? Yeah.
0: Um, and it would take like five hours to upload one song. You know, I mean, we're talking like dial up. Yeah. So, um. So like that kind of stuff, and I mean, I would even build like um, forums were a huge deal then. Like, so I, I was like big into like VBulletin, and like I enjoyed like the setup of forums. Like, yeah. I don't know, like I think at that point in time, if I could have if I could have gotten paid to like set up VBulletin forums, yeah, yeah, of- yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I just enjoyed like putting things together, and and that like kind of continued and. And I never, it was always like in this sort of unofficial, like I never went into anything thinking like, and this is it. Like I have found what I'm going to do until I retire. Like it was just, I was like, let's just see what happens. Um, And worst case, I learned how to do something new, useless or not.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: So, uh, but really, like in college is when it really took off because I felt like I had, I don't, I mean, I didn't necessarily have more time, but it was like, college was this good um, opportunity for me to like, I had a lot more freedom cause I was out of the house. Yeah. Um, but at the same time I didn't have so many responsibilities that it kept me from doing anything.
1: That's right. And what were you um, taking at college? So I was, well,
0: I didn't really figure out what I was going to major in until like the second half of my junior year. Okay. Um, I was a bunch of different stuff. I mean, I started off in like communications. I was like a business major for a month Okay. Um, but eventually, like, as for the communications degree, I had to take like a graphic intro to graphic design class. Yeah. And something clicked. And the, the professor that was teaching was like, man, you look, you should do this. Huh. And I did. And I, and I like it worked really well. I that's that was like, I was never like an artsy kid, but like UI design um, really struck a chord with me.
1: Gotcha. So that's what I ended up with, went to like finish my degree in. Gotcha. So you're in college, you're figuring out some stuff about yourself Yep. and now you've got some entrepreneurial stuff going on too.
0: Yeah. So like some of the first stuff I ever, the the first time I ever really started making money on the internet was, um, this would have been like 2001, 2002, um, where you can make a freaking crap ton of money off of ads. And, uh, so I think the very first site that I ever built where I, like, I made some sum of money from ads was uh, reallydumstuff.com. It was, uh, <laughs> was a site that I had. and uh, it was just like a stupid directory of like links to dumb stuff. And um, I'm sad that there's I, nothing
1: there right now. I have no
0: idea what's there now. It could be it's dangerous to visit any of this stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't own that domain at all. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Then I followed that up with uh, the even more profitable, really fun arcade.com. Um, <laughs> and what was and, uh, on Really Fun Arcade? Man, just it was like mini. you remember MiniClip? Yeah. Uh, There's like MiniClip.com. Yeah. And they had all these just flash arcade games that you could embed on your website. Yeah. And I would just, and they weren't the only place I did that, so I would just found all the places. And again, like it's just directory of all these different online games that you could play. Yeah. And uh, and I, I mean, I was making at that point. I was probably making like, as a, you know, a sophomore in college, like uh, maybe 500 bucks a month off ads or something like that.
2: Wow. And,
0: uh, and then I ended up selling that thing for like a few thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah. Um, but then there was, uh, man, I had a, I don't know what it was with directory sites and ad, this chunking ads on. There was a site called Tutorial Outpost that I had. Okay. And, uh, it was even bigger, like just link links to things that like Photoshop tutorials and yeah. illustrator stuff. And, uh, and tutorial I was
1: outpost is still Photoshop tutorial, but I think it's like a
0: blog now or something like that. And it hadn't been updated in a long time. Yeah. 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 So I was at one point at, before I sold that thing off, um, I was making like, I think close to $5,000 a month off ads. Wow, um, And it's just insane. Like, the heck, I'm not doing anything, and yeah. I'm making
1: thousands, I'm making like
0: really good money, especially for
1: doing nothing, yeah. And you're like 21 right now, or at this point, 90? at the time that it was doing its
0: best, I was um, that was probably 2005. I mean, I had it for a few years, and yeah, I was probably 21.
1: So. 21, okay. See, stories like this piss me off <laughs> because I was. I'm 35. Uh, you know, I was on the internet right when Mosaic came out. Uh, by the way, is there an echo on your side?
0: No, am I echoing?
1: Uh, I'm echoing, but it's okay. So right. uh, this always—I was on the internet. I was doing stuff, but then there's guys like you that figured out I could do this and make and put on ads. I could do this, and so how did you figure that out? Did you just get lucky? Did you see someone else doing it? What was it? that, like, I was building websites, but I I was, and I had a a website where I was reviewing music and uh, bands would send me music to review. Yep. But I wasn't, I never clued into things like ad revenue and things like that. So how, what, how did you figure that out? I think, I mean,
0: so some of those things, like, okay, so you think of, like, music reviews. I, too, had a music review site and and bands would send me stuff, but I never could figure out how to make money off of it. And, like, I think those other sites like really fun arcade and really dumb stuff and tutorial outputs. I wasn't like passionate about any of that at all. Yeah. But it was sort of a, like, I was teaching myself how to program one. Yeah. Um, But then on top of that, it was like, I mean, I might as well try to make some money off this. Like how would one make money off of these? And I think certain things just lend themselves to, uh, you know, being more profitable, like a music Review site is a bunch of, I mean, bands who have no money, um, like followed by fans who have no money. Yeah. Like, those, so this wasn't like a good way to, like you couldn't make money off ads off that. And ads was like a super easy copy and paste yeah. way to start making money.
1: But what was driving you? Like, because you were driven to make money. Right. Um, what was that? Where was that drive coming from?
0: I think that was just, that's just like part of me. Not in like, I'm not like a, like a money hungry guy, but like, uh, I get to me like money as a validator to some extent. And so, um, I probably craved the validation of that. Like that was like a success metric for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would have like, could have called it that at the time, but like, uh, that was like this positive feedback loop of like, do a thing, get more money from it. Yeah. And so that, okay, I'll keep doing that. And yeah. like, so just the, the reward for that was a really quick.
1: What's interesting is that you've, you use that metric later on as well with some of your other projects. Like, sure. Like, it seemed like you learned this lesson early. Like I could, yeah. I have a music review site that makes no money. I have these other sites that make a lot of money and I'm going to, you know, focus on these and that's going to be what validates kind of where I put my time. Is that true?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, I think like I mentioned there's a handful of sites, but I mean, in reality, like there were probably a hundred plus like random stupid ideas, like that I could not make any money off of. And, uh, and some of those stuff, some of the, but other things like they took off and led to other things, like, and they weren't just stupid, like, let's plaster ads on it. Like, I I did try to like get, I found, I mean, each step that I took, I was, uh, leveling up to some extent, at least my, like, from my point of view, in terms of, um, oh, I don't know, like classiness, like, you know, a, a directory of dumb stuff is like on the low end. It's, I mean, it's not at the bottom of the pile as far as like lack of class, but it's not near, it's nowhere near the top. So like, I felt like each time I took a step up, I was like, you know what, like, let's take the things I've learned and like, let's try to do something maybe more meaningful or useful, Um, maybe that doesn't translate to more profitable, but at least I'll sleep better at
1: night
2: and enjoy myself.
1: Yeah, totally. You broke up a little bit there. Maybe just check, make sure you don't got Dropbox running. You're fine now, but I just want to make sure, you know, we'll we'll stop for one intermission here.
0: I'll I'll close some random stuff and
1: see what happens. (laughs) So you're in college, you're working on these things, you're making some money. What happens next? Uh you're twenty-five at this point at the height oh, of your of your internet ad career. Right. right, right. Uh what uh, happens? some point it happens starts crashing. Okay. okay.
0: Yeah. So I mean, you know, I mentioned like at the peak of like ad income, I'm making like five thousand a month. There comes up. this is up until like that stuff starts hitting the fan. Yeah. Um and there comes a point where you, it's very hard to make money. But so in this time frame, I had um, a site that I'd started in college called the Apple blog, which uh, I didn't at the time consider myself a writer. I didn't enjoy writing. I didn't enjoy um, reviewing products or anything. But I had just switched from PC to Mac. And like at the time, especially like in college, like what I would do is like, oh, let's make a website about it. And so that I I started this blog and convinced lots of people to write for me um, for free. Okay, And and then that just grew and grew and grew. And and same thing at that point, you could still put ads on things. And so um, at that point, I wasn't I was doing other stuff, too, like doing design and dev consulting. So that was a big chunk of my income that uh, also allowed me to to sort of experiment with things. So like the Apple blog at the time, I wasn't making personally much money from it, but there became a time when it started making money where I was, I started paying all my writers. So, so it's like, this was turning into its own little business and uh, maybe it's not profitable for me at the time, um, but it was able to, I could, could keep the business running because I had lots of other things going to.
1: Yeah. And so you graduated from school, you started doing dev and design consulting. Yep. Um, and and one thing I've kind of gathered is because you mentioned graphic design and UI design, but in the somewhere in the midst of this, you also taught yourself some programming, right? And you've all, obviously always had a little bit of a business bug, so you really have your hand in a bunch of things. Uh, when when you introduced yourself, did you say I'm a designer? I'm a de- developer. Uh, I'm just doing a bunch of internet stuff. What would you say?
0: That, that I mean, so I've been I've been doing this for. I don't know if we include college, fifteen years, and I—that's like a thing I still don't really know what to say. Yeah, like, people are like, "What do you do?" I'm like, uh, I mean, now I'm like, "Oh, I do—I run a like business software." Yeah, yeah, or something like that. I mean, something's still kind of vague, but like prior to that, when I just was building a dozen different things and doing design and dev consulting, I think I a, a lot of times just default to like, "Like, I'm a web designer." Yeah, which. Which threw me into the pile is like Uncle Johnny's nephew who makes websites. Yeah, you know, but like, yeah, it was easier. Yeah, to say that.
1: So you, you were doing you were doing this blog, getting some ad revenue. Uh, at at some point, you started making products. When when did that come around?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the very first, if you think of like like a software product, so um. In 2005, um, my wife and I had just gotten married, um, and something I started doing in college was collecting, um, they're called like urban vinyl toys. So you think of like art toys, like these like graffiti artists would design toys and stuff. Okay. um, So it was kind of this cool thing that I enjoyed, and so I was like, hey. I wanted I I would love to dabble in e-commerce. And this connects to software, I promise. Okay. Um, yeah. So so I decided, hey, let's let's start an e-commerce site selling what's called urban vinyl collectibles. Okay. And uh so that's what I did. And well, I mean, this is like my wife and I in our apartment had toys <laughs> stacked to the ceiling in our apartment. Like how did in she, our bedroom. How did she feel about this? She's well, so that's what like she was that part of her job was like shipping out orders. So like, it was fun working. Like we enjoy working together. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, this one is like the smell of vinyl. Like <laughs> that's what I went to sleep to and woke up to. It's just it, off
1: gassing I mean, all the time. It's just, we're like totally high all
0: the time. <laughs> um, and so, so that's, that was so sort of this e-commerce site. And um, with, when you have product like that, a lot of it comes from China. And um and just distributors in general, but like we were ordering lots of product. And so it's coming from lots of different places. And I needed a place to track you know when all that stuff's coming, where it's coming from, when it's gonna be here. And so I built this little package tracking thing.
2: Okay. Um
0: little internal tool. And then I was like, hey, you know what? I bet there's other people who would find this useful. Let's See, let's throw it out there and see if other people want to track lots of Amazon packages and whatever else they order. Yeah. So started this thing called Track the Pack, and um, so that's that was my first like little thing. like, and so it was free at first. Yeah. And I learned a ton about programming from that, and um, eventually tried to do this like commercial aspect of it, where like uh, e-commerce stores could embed tracking info mm-hmm. on their websites. And then there was like a personal side where you could pay. 25 bucks a year to get, I don't even remember what, something that I'm sure was totally worth $25 to get. (laughs) Um, And so that's what kind of like got my feet wet with building software that people would pay for.
1: And what was the response to that? So, I
0: mean, I think when I, by the time I ended up shutting it down, I don't know, 2013, 2014. Okay. And at that time, I mean, I think we had tracked like a few million packages, had like 30,000 users. We had an iPhone app that had been, Downloaded, I don't know, ten thousand times or something. Wow, Um, this is a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, for a little thing, yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, but that was that was my first like taste of software that could make money.
1: Yeah. Um, And clearly, you're interested in making money with technology. Like you've been interested in this a long time. And the other threat, like the threat in your life, is you were doing all sorts of stuff to try things out, right? Right. Like yeah. some, some people could look at you and say you started Bear metrics and not realize it sounds like hundreds, maybe even thousands of projects that you, that you worked on before you ever even got to Bear metrics
0: Sure. And I mean, that includes there's design and dev consulting stuff in the middle of this, which is like me, like learning how to be a better software creator, I guess. Yep. Um, and like, learning also from, like, client work that, man, like, that guy, that's the dumbest thing that guy has ever thought of. But yeah. Whatever, he's yeah. paying me for it. Yeah. Um, you could so rec- I some business you, you, sense that, too. Yeah, you could yeah.
1: see the, the trajectory of ideas. I think also, like, the trajectory of, you know, a lot of us go through a bunch of testing stages. Like, we're like, oh, let's see how hard it is to make money with ads. And they yeah. test that. Well, I wonder how much money I could make drop shipping stuff or actually doing e commerce. And you right. try that, and you you were able to test out a lot of a, a lot of those things, plus do consulting for other people and just see the trajectory of how most of these ideas ended up. Right. So there's a little bit of pattern recognition in there too, probably.
0: I would say so. I, mean, I figure I could see from other people's mistakes whether it was the idea or just like execution. Yeah. Figure what was a bad idea.
1: So what, after track the pack, which is a great name, uh, th- what, uh, you, what was it about that experience that made you feel like doing it again? Like doing right. more so, software.
0: So, well, so that led to other things like, so track the pack ultimately, um, led to a consulting gig with a guy named David Hauser, who was the co-founder of a, a site called grass, a business called grasshopper. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that started. He was he's like a serial entrepreneur who's done a ton tons of different stuff, and he was getting this other business up and running where that was revolved around package tracking, but specifically like um, FedEx and UPS will have these like basically um, service level agreements where you know if, if a package is late by X amount of time, then the shipper can like request refunds of a certain amount, whatever. Um, this is like super enterprisey kind of stuff. Yeah. But I was like the package tracking guy.
1: Like you boomed your name as the guy the
2: that the yeah, okay.
0: So so that's how he found me and I was like, hey, can you build this for us? So either way, I built that thing for him. That went fine. But then they were starting up a new him and his grasshopper co-founder were starting up this new survey platform thing or they had an idea for it and needed somebody to build it out. And so I knew David from this previous project. Uh, so that went on to be a thing called pop survey which I started as like like the engineer guy building it out and then all of a sudden done really long story there but I like basically became the CEO and majority owner of that
1: and this is when I first became aware of you is pop yeah, so this, I
0: start going to like microconf and stuff around this time
1: yeah, yeah.
0: and um so that's that's where that started like so it's, a, you know, like an online survey platform and that's straight up like a SaaS product. Mm-hmm. And um, learned a ton there. We built a side product called Temper that was still underneath that sort of same business. Um, and those were what I ultimately built Bear Metrics for. Like that, those prompted my own like itch of needing the metrics.
1: Yeah. and And maybe for people who have never had to who have never worked for a SaaS company or have never had to calculate those metrics, explain why that's a pain point. What were you noticing for yourself or with other people that made you think, ah, this is, this is a pain in the ass.
0: Right. So to get things like, uh, so some like key metrics for a subscription business are like monthly recurring revenue, the lifetime value of a customer churn. Those are kind of like the big ones. And uh, to calculate all those, there's, I mean, there's lots of different ways to do it and ways to go about it. But most people end up doing it in like a big, hairy spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, or they'll build something like internal that doesn't really take into account, you know, bill payments and uh, annual charges and properly like just accounting for all these edge case scenarios. And yeah. uh, so I had been doing that stuff in spreadsheets or trying to use like a KISS metrics or some sort of generic analytics platform yeah. and okay. was just bombing at all. Like, yeah. it was so difficult, always behind. Um,
1: yeah. I was like, strike's not all the data
0: here. Uh, why not? I just? I'll just build some little internal tool.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things, if you've never had to do it, I've had to do it for my clients, and it's one of those things that when you're calculating those, it is, it sounds simple in the beginning yep. because everyone calculates SAS metrics, but when you actually have to sit down and do it yourself, you, it, it becomes, very quickly becomes one of those jobs that you're like, I wish someone would just do this for me. <laughs> it's like bookkeeping. It's like yeah, but worse because it it it's one of those things where, it, um, cognitively, I love software that attacks these problems because it's one of those things that cognitively things keep getting added. Like you'll start calculating it, and then you're like, okay, but how does annual recurring revenue factor into this? Oh shoot, I don't know. I got to go Google, and then there's three different opinions, and mm-hmm. then you know how does expansion revenue how does contraction how does reactivation how do all these things factor into this one number i have yep. to deliver and it is when you're on a team and you're like you know as a consultant i was giving these numbers to the ceo i wanted to make sure they were correct and sure. so you're you're instantly thinking how can i get this off my plate because if i mess this up um you know, I don't want to get in trouble, basically, right? So it, it, it is definitely one of those hairy problems that if you've experienced it, you can you feel it, like, you feel that idea of like, I wish I could just hire somebody to do this.
0: Sure. I mean, and it's one of the things where if I had known how complicated it was would be to build the software that does it, I, I in hindsight, I would not have done it. <laughs> really? I'm, I'm too, well, I mean, like, knowing what the opportunity is now, then okay, sure, I would have done it. But like, if I had known at the start of my building it like how like just the insane things people do with their data uh it, and how difficult it is to do it correctly across thousands of businesses man it's it is just a nightmare and yeah. uh but that's how I got into it was I scratched my own edge
1: yeah now let's just stay in this nightmare zone for a second because it seems to me. And now you have to give us advice on this. It seems to me that uh, those kinds of things that are nightmares can be great businesses. Like Stripe solved the problem of credit cards. That was a nightmare. You had to fill out paperwork. You had to fax it to people. You had to get credit checks. They solved that nightmare. And everyone I talked to at Stripe, you probably have better insight on this. But there's sounds like a lot of background, like just manual labor they're doing to keep that system running, yeah. uh, it sounds like a nightmare. But the advantage is that someone like us can now go to Stripe and start accepting credit cards in thirty seconds. Right. So, knowing what you know now, would you advise people to go find nightmares, or would you say no? There's better ways to make money.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I. So yes, I do think like that's where I think there's um maybe. It, it depends on how you look at risk or what you what you qualify as risk. Like to me, a nightmare, what's a nightmare for a company is a potential for like high reward, low risk scenario. At the same time, it could be high risk in the sense that you, uh, it's not a really a solvable problem. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change that it's a nightmare, but it's like, there might be a reason that it's a nightmare. And it, at this point in time, there's no really great uh, business wise Way to solve it, yeah um but if you're talking that but that really comes down to a time thing like that's it's a low risk endeavor when when it's mainly just your time that's you're potentially wasting, which mm-hmm. is not to discount that, but I mean there I think when there's a nightmare scenario, there's a potential for a, a much higher reward than something that like everybody else is already doing
1: yeah yeah if so you mean if you can be first if you're I if, you're, if first, you're first in the nightmare.
0: First or, like, one of the first few. I mean, like, so since Barometrics launched, I mean, like, we've got, I don't know, maybe two, I would say, legit competitors. And then about three dozen competitors who just are 100% irrelevant, who who are me-too businesses that are like, yeah, cool. Like, I, like I can see their dashboard. And that's what they're making money. If I made, if I could just make 10000 that would be great. Yeah. And so then they, there's just so much of these, like, copycats that... I don't lose any sleep about, and yeah, um, I I think that's if you can be one of those first handfuls that are doing something well, then yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, so let's step back a little bit. You you had realized there was an opportunity, or could be an opportunity. You you didn't realize how deep and complex and nightmarish the whole rabbit hole was going to be, but you're like, okay, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. You built something internally first. Is that how it worked? Yeah. I
0: was, it was initially just going to be an internal tool cause like I just needed it for myself and I could build it. So, okay. Uh, but then I had mentioned it to a couple of buddies who were like, yeah, man, we would love something like that. And okay. Well, why not? Like, I had always, if, if you go back for the past, like 10, 15 years, a big part of, like, I don't know if you'd call it like my business strategy. That sounds so official and it's, just, that was not how I was thinking, but I diversified a bunch. So there was like, you know, there was the design stuff, there was development stuff, consulting. And then there's like all these random little products, there's e-commerce and just like multiple sources of income. Yeah. And so my thinking when I had like pop survey and temper and was doing those along with, we'll still having to do some design and development consulting was like, okay, well, let me throw bare metrics out there. And that's, that'll just be another source. Mm-hmm. Um, And I mean, I remember telling Ashley, my wife, that like thinking that like in a year, there's like, of course, uh, you know, Stripe would just acquire this or build this or something like that. This is like a small, this part of the timeline, like, yeah, we'll have this for a year or two and then we'll move on because some, you know, somebody surely will build this
2: Yeah,
0: um, at Stripe. But I found that that's not really the case or that's not even really a risk. And um, so, yeah, so it just took off after that.
1: And what can you tell tell us? Which two buddies did you reach out to?
0: Um, who did I talk to? I cannot even remember off the top of my head.
1: At one point, uh, I got an email from you uh, with you asking if I'd like to try it, and I was I had a reoccurring membership. Uh, well, I still do, uh, but I couldn't use it at the time. But at what stage did you start doing that kind of outreach, where you were emailing people that you thought, yeah, these these people might be able to use this?
0: Right. So I so the very first thing I did was like I had started writing, started posting on Twitter, just like, hey, I'm building this thing. I was sort of like tweeting it as I was building it, and uh, and that that on its own. Well, okay. So pr- prior to that, I started asking. I asked maybe two or three people that I was in like a, a chat room with with other entrepreneurs. And I think that's where I found the first couple. I don't even remember who they were. Um, But then after it was like, yeah, like this could be useful to other people. I started tweeting about it. Like, okay, I'm gonna turn this into a thing, like an actual product with a name and a logo. And, um, and so at that point I start, I was getting like people saying, Hey, I want to use that. Like I wasn't even asking for people. Yeah. So, but then after I launched, I started, I probably I don't know within two or three months of launching, I started like manually reaching out to people via email, um, who were who I, I could tell had Stripe embedded, like it was just like a JavaScript thing. Gotcha. Which, like,
1: you, you you were able to go and view source and see what's going on.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So I did that for a little while. wasn't super effective, um, but tried it.
1: And how did you know that you had something? that was worth pursuing at what point were you like okay cuz you were still building it like that early validation was coming in but you were still building it at what my, point did you were you like okay i'm really going to invest in this well
0: i mean day 1 my first, our like the very first bear metrics customer was a $250 a month customer like that was my first sign up wow I, So it was like ha ah, yeah. like just <laughs> I'm tried Like I just threw the 249 a month on there for like kicks. Like, okay, we'll put this on here like a price anchoring thing, so the rest of them look really cheap. Yeah. And uh, and that guy signs up, and I'm like, yes, like this could work. Yeah. And uh, and I think I had we had a couple thousand dollars in MRR within the first I don't know month or two.
1: Okay, so let's just pause. So, let's pause here because using yeah. your your traditional Josh Pigford metric, which is partly it sounds like. You you evaluate projects based on monetary traction. Right. So what was it about that? Because you got $250 the first day, but then it was like a month or two until you got to, you know, a couple thousand or a thousand, you said? Yeah, it was probably a couple
0: thousand. Yeah.
1: So how were you feeling about that? You felt like this is enough? Because, I mean, compared to consulting, that's nothing. Sure. Uh what was it? Were you comparing it to Pop Forms and Temper? Like what was it about this that was making you dance around and you know tell your wife, we got 250 bucks and right, we're all right. excited?
0: I think because the other the the products I had like Pop Survey and Temper were like I had spent like a couple of years on those at that point. And I think Grand between the two of them was making like maybe at their best, I think it was like probably seven or eight thousand a month. Um, so like not much. And I was like within, you know, say a month at like two thousand of that. Yeah. Whereas like those, i had spent it took me a long time to get two thousand dollars with those. Yeah. And so that's when I was like,
2: mm,
0: I should spend some more time on this. Yeah. And so by February, so I launched the first version of airmetrics in November. Okay. And by February, so was that three months later. Uh, I real I think I was at I don't know, maybe four thousand a month or something like that, three or four thousand. And I think at that point, in the, the growth was I was doing I don't know thirty percent month over month growth or something like that. Yeah, which in a ton when you're making small amounts of money, but it was still like super encouraging that it was not just like these huge spikes and then things would drop. I mean, it was like it was steadily growing.
2: Yeah. And so at
0: that point was when I was like, yeah, I need to focus on this. Yeah. And so that was when I made that decision.
1: And why did you switch from going, what made you feel like you could switch from going, ah, this is just going to be a part of my overall revenue pie because there's too much risk. Someone's going to build it. What made you think, okay, I'm going to actually double down on this?
0: Yeah. So that um, conversations one with Stripe, like just talking through what they're – roadmap was and like their commitment to bare metrics and like making their ecosystem grow and like not wanting to like just crush everything that was built on stripe. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean I was taking a little bit of a leap there, taking them at their word. Yeah. Um but kind of took that for a, and like said like okay, like we'll stop. Let me stop doing consulting stuff. Um and let me stop uh, you know sort of pause pop survey and temper. And look at selling those and uh, and then just focus on metrics. So I mean it was a bit of a risk. that was probably one of the riskiest moves I took mm-hmm. uh, I'd taken it all and like sort of career wise was saying I'm not gonna diversify.
1: Yeah anymore. yeah. yeah. Um, if we have time, I'd like to get back to that. Um, sure. the at one point, um, it seemed like a significant, Event was getting buffer as a customer. Yep. Uh, so we're in February now. At what point did that come along? So that
0: was um so MicroConf that year was in April. I think like maybe early April. So that was 2014. Um and I I spoke at MicroConf that year. Um and was just like, I had, uh, we had, so we had the public dashboard. I had already made our stuff public. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in February of that year. And so I started talking with Heaton Shaw, um, who at the time was still doing Kiss Metrics. Um, and he was, and so he's an advisor to Buffer. And Buffer was at this time also super known for the, like, they're already known for their transparency stuff. Yeah. So he's like, hey man, you should get them. Should make their stuff public through Baremetrics. I'm like, hey, if you can hook that up, yeah. let's do it. So sure enough, like after Microconf was over, like the day or two later, he does an email intro to Joel and Leo, and they were 100 percent on board with it, and we did it. And so by the end of April, they were on board and had their like, you know, buffer.baremetrics.com.
1: Gotcha. So this happened pretty quick. If let me see if I can get the timeline right. You launched November, 2013 by February, you're doing $4,000 in MRR
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and April, you speak at microconf and then end of April buffers online.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think by the end of, by the end of April, we were like, this is even pre buffer. We were already at like, I don't know, seven or $8,000 in MRR. I mean, like we were still growing at a solid clip. Um, Oh, I want to say we. I mean, at that point, it was still just me.
1: It was still you. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, but then Buffer came on board, and they have a ton of data, and they're just I mean, so they're they're largely like a B two C company. I mean, not super consumer, but I mean that's they have just lots of tons of low paying customers. Yeah, lots of prosumers. Right, and so there's just from a purely data like pure data standpoint, they had a freaking crap ton of data. Yeah, and I was not prepared for that. (laughs) I've done a bunch of dev consulting, but I was like not on like with like high like large amounts of data.
1: Yeah, were they on the two hundred and fifty dollar plan? Well, so we—I mean, the deal there
0: was like they were free customer,
1: free customer. So you're taking a risk here.
0: I'm taking risks from a marketing standpoint.
1: Yeah, and uh, and it sounds like it sounds like from a like a DevOps standpoint too, though. Sure, (laughs) sure.
0: At that point, everything starts hitting the fan on the server side of things. And that's when I brought, I, I mean, uh, he started off as a consultant for me, but now he's was our first in my first hire period. And yeah. to, um, so <laughs> he's, oh man, that was like April, May, June of 2014 was a whirlwind, um, of like me trying to put out fires. And that's also when ultimately like Stripe approached us about putting money in and, that took off more hiring. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of stuff. That's yeah. What
1: happened Yeah. So, Stripe in that period invested. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. one thing we're going to talk about, and maybe now's a good time to at least bring it up, is um, there was, I, I remember you launching Bare Metrics, and it just felt like a bunch of us were not only like cheering for you, but also like, you at for a while it was like Barometrics is like uh, a bootstrapping unicorn. Like yeah. this is the company Josh has been launching little projects forever. Nothing really took off. All of a sudden he's seeing this thing that's taking off, and there was a bunch of us that were watching it going, "This is amazing! Like this is the guy that's living the dream that everyone wants to live." Right. Uh, and you're doing it in a very transparent way. And then you also were one of the first, uh, especially in the the, the the boot shopping community, to introduce this idea of, I'm going to bring on some investment. Uh, mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of other people that had done that. So maybe just talk about, at this phase, how are you dealing with the attention? Now there's probably some copycats coming around. What What's your feeling at that point when everyone is like paying attention to you, everyone kind of, you are kind of the, the representation of, you know, thousands and millions of people's dreams. You know, they, they, they want to do what you're doing. What's the feeling when you're in that situation?
0: Um, I don't know that I, I mean, I think I was still knee deep in like putting out fires. So like, I didn't notice it a bunch or like, I probably didn't think much about it. Um, I think I until until like the prospect of us taking on some money, like that was one of the hardest things actually was like making the transition from purely bootstrapped and having like that whole community sort of like being like a being a strong advocate for bare metrics, um, and then consciously making the decision to not I mean to like to take on so we took on five hundred thousand dollars uh in in that summer 2014. Mm-hmm. And uh so I mean that's not an inconsequential amount of money. I mean yeah. that's not like a kind of thing. Like that's that's a decent chunk of change. Yeah. And and that changes stuff about the business. And I mean we still you know terms of that were really good and we didn't at this point have I still have a hundred percent ownership of bare metrics. I mean like it was a it was the right decision for us. Um and a lot of private conversations I had, because I, I was super concerned about this. Like, what would the reception be from, like, this bootstrap community that I've been a part of for years? Yeah.
1: And for the, me to the religion not. the religion is yeah. any sort of investment is bad. Right. Um, and, and Yeah.
0: And, and, like, I was concerned because I had seen, like, the dogmatic side of it, the negatively dogmatic side of people, like, taking sides and, you know, like, just constantly bashing any sort of, like, investment and uh and it's like knowing that i had been like this part of this bootstrapping community and like i was now not i felt like i was probably gonna like kind of get kicked out of it Mm -hmm. to some extent maybe by default because i'm no longer bootstrapped in that in the literal sense Mm -hmm. and so but i mean i had conversations with like a lot of people that privately with uh big like bootstrapping people that everybody in the bootstrapping community would know and like the support from them was solid, and, like, I felt 100% good on, the on, like, that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I would change it, uh, but, I mean, it it changed the dynamic as far as, like, the community that I was involved in. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of ways we could go here. That One, just a sidebar, is that a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of these privately owned companies. No one knows how much their grandma lent them. No one knows right. how much... Uh, line of credit they have, no one knows you know there's a bunch of things people don't know uh, because they're privately owned. and so I think you always have to be careful about the religion of anything. Um, and I mean I've definitely uh, my buddy Kyle Fox and I always get into debates about this. I've definitely been more on the side of not taking investment, but the the whenever something gets kind of dogmatically, you know, religious and people taking sides. There's probably a lot more of gray than people <laughs> than One people end. know,
0: right? And I well, but I, I think like the problem is the people that usually chime in are people who haven't experienced the, the alternative of it, yeah, at all. Like, I mean, I I haven't taken on like twenty million dollars in BC funding or anything like that. I can't relate to that. But like, I've experienced both sides of that coin, like. I, I can tell you what the downsides are of taking on somebody, someone else's money. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you what the downsides are of like just purely bootstrapping it. But I mean, it, like, it all comes down to what, what, like, you kind of want to do with the thing, and right? It's, like,
1: so, in retrospect, because you said it did change the tra- trajectory of the company, right. what, how do you feel about it now?
0: Yeah, I mean, so like the inherent sort of downside with VC money is that. Um, or it depends on when you take it on and what the terms are and all that stuff. But, but a lot of times what you typically what you see in the news that like kind of gets the headlines are, are these huge companies that end up having to shut down after they, they took on like 10 million in VC funding. Then they it was like grow at all costs, which grow, mean, grow meaning higher. So you hire lots of people and then you your burn rate's too high. And you literally just burn all your money. Mm-hmm. So um, like that's sort of bare metrics on a smaller scale. Like We've experienced that in the sense that so we hired people and now there's we're operating at a loss. because um, that's ultimately what the money's for. And so then you have to work hard to make the growth revenue-wise to catch up. So you're not just, you know, running in the negative. Yeah. Um, so I, that's just a different, I don't know that I would change anything. It just it's a different way to run a business. Uh, and I don't I mean, I don't like I don't love operating that way. Like our goal for this year is to be profitable because I hate not being profitable. Mm-hmm. Just, there's a level of stress that comes with that, um, mm-hmm. and having to spend time managing your burn rate and stuff like that—it's just not a ton of fun. Yeah. Um What does profitability
1: look for y- like for you guys? Like, do you guys have a number that you need to hit, or like so a right
0: number? Now, like, I think we would need to be doing around like—I mean, fluctuates a little based on month, but like around seventy-five thousand a month. Okay. Um.
1: And you're at, so, a, you're at about 50 right now? We're at
0: 50 right now. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know that I would do anything different in hindsight because it's like, it let us do things um, like I I thoroughly enjoy like having a team working on something. Mm-hmm. And um, and I do feel like it's helped us grow the business itself faster than just me by myself could have done.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I don't have any regrets. I don't know that I would, you know, every business is different. And it's hard to say like what I would do next time or not.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to even transpose transpose any experience over to someone else because it's hard to know.
0: Or even the next thing that I like after bare metrics, whenever that is, like I I couldn't even tell you what I would do with that if I would do the same thing or not. It's just every scenario is completely different.
1: Yeah. Well, while we're in these weeds here, let's let's talk about this recent tweet storm you did and blog post you did which basically starts with you saying i recently received uh email kind of out of the blue from a vc and it kind of you know um bluntly says are you only at $50,000 uh in impl- in monthly recurring revenue implying what's going on you know i thought you were way more than that yep. uh almost a, a lot there's a lot of shame kind of in that being um you know, there's a feeling of shame, like he's almost trying to shame you. Or So maybe talk us through that email and your response to it. Because the blog post is amazing. Um, I'm not sure what the response has been to it, but I know a lot of people that I've shared it with have said, man, this is quite encourage- encouraging for them that you were so open and honest and vulnerable about it. So maybe just take us through that uh, in your own words. Uh, yeah, so I hey. think...
0: I think I was on the on the flight to our team. We were having a Bearmetrics team retreat in in Austin um, in April, and I'm sitting on the flight and got that email, and uh, and so it was sort of this like like it was it was a downer when I got it, um, but yeah, it was just like a single line email. It said, I think it was like, is Bearmetrics only doing forty five thousand a month? I think. It was, or mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what it said what the number was at the time. Yeah, um,
2: which he knows because
0: the our public dashboard, like because everybody knows what our revenue is. Yeah. And, um, so I mean, it was yeah, it was a shot in the gut then, um, but at the same time, it was like it. I felt like it was uh, ultimately like net positive. I mean, I'm the the feedback that I got from writing the article was uh, super good. Um, and and I think like it ultimately kind of gave me a little more confidence in like sort of this like I I don't actually care what the guy thinks like I mean, it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's easy to say that but I think a lot of times it's hard to actually think it because um, it's easy to be like self deprecating and negative
2: because
0: mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs like run like operate in their head and they almost have to especially like in a CEO role where you've got like a team of people working. Um, I mean, they're working for you, like you're the boss. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things have to happen in your head. And so you end up getting stuck in your head a lot. And uh, and so writing for me is a way to get that out. And so like right, being transparent actually helps with that a lot because I'm able to like verbally process.
2: Yeah. Stuff.
1: And how did you, I mean, I think one of the things that we don't talk about very much, there's kind of, uh, we're in the tension of two things. On one side, there's this idea of competitiveness, jealousy, comparisons, and this new transparency movement in some ways invites that, right? So, uh, you know, if people go to baremetrics.com slash open, you can see which companies are growing faster, which companies are growing slower. Uh, and it might even it might be unfair to make comparisons to other companies, but we do this all the time. we compare ourselves to other people um, and on the other side of the extreme, there's this idea of uh, human beings are attracted to people that seem to have success and perceived success, and uh, a lot of startups want to keep that that image alive, like uh, to the point where sometimes they'll lie about their numbers and say, you know, we're doing a lot better than we really are. How have you processed some of that? Um,
0: I don't know. I mean, because we've been so open from the start, there's not a whole lot that we could even like fudge to say. I mean, I, we could, I could say that we're doing really well and that we're profitable and like money's not tight but that's not the case like money's tight and so we're having to like work hard to become profitable Mm -hmm. um i don't know that i get to me that there's just nothing to gain in the long term by like acting like things are cool when they're not Mm -hmm. i don't know i mean i get why people there's um you know you mentioned like shame like people don't like feeling like I failed or I'm not doing well or like I've thrown this stuff out there and it's just not sticking like nobody cares About Mm -hmm. the thing that I've done. That's hard, but like it's even harder to like act like things are fine And then when there's literally no denying it when like you have to shut the thing down Mm -hmm. Well, then at that point like you've gained nothing by faking it
1: How do you deal with the, or do you even have the urge to compare yourself other groups? Because in some sense, that has motivated you. You compared this project to your other projects and you were like, yes, I'm going with this one because I can see how this is different. But then there's the other kind of comparison where you could compare yourself to another business, another someone else's trajectory. How do you deal with that?
0: Um, So to me, comparison is usually only useful when it's like introspective. So I think comparison and even then it's super, it can be really dangerous. Um, Like I don't compare myself to other people. Like I compare myself to myself um, from like a historical standpoint or like, like, Hey man, like Josh, you've put in a ton of work on this thing in the past um, and it didn't pan out, but like you've put in a ton of work on this thing and it is panning out. So like, that's the thing you should probably focus on. Um, I think, I think anything past that and it gets, you You just never have the right context. Like, because most people aren't fully transparent, it's like the whole, like, it's depressing to go to like, look at Facebook or Instagram because people are only posting their best moments mm-hmm. and you have a tendency to think, man, that guy's got like a perfect life. Yeah. But it's like, no, like that guy's not posting. Like when he's sitting in his room, like depressed, Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so you have, you don't have context with any other comparisons except for your own experiences. And to me, that's a huge benefit to trying so much stuff. Like um, I had a talk that I did once about like shipping and killing things fast and frequently.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And like the importance of just trying and trying over and over and over and over because it gives you this like baseline of what you might be capable of or like, what's good for you or like how to compare yourself as you've made progress or not made progress. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the only time that you've got full context.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a great place to end it, dude. I thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. And if you folks want to check out there, there's, I'm the kind of guy that I buy services Relationally, I, I, I like to invest in companies and people that I trust and I think that have an ongoing kind of relationship with their audience. And I think Josh and his team have done a great job at that. You can check out, they've got a great blog where they don't just share the great moments, not just their Instagram moments, slash blog. And if you want to track uh, their progress and cheer them on, BearMetrics.com/open is where you can see all of the open metrics, and BearMetrics is there as well. Hey, man, I'm cheering for you guys. All the best. Hey,
2: thanks for having me, Justin.
1: All right, that's it. Thanks for listening, folks. Hope you got something out of that. Uh, thanks again to Josh for doing the show and. If you want all the show notes from this episode, productpeople.tv slash 79. You may have noticed that I've switched podcasting hosts and the website is now new. And uh, to get to any episode, it's just productpeople.tv slash and then the episode number. So slash 79 for this one. You want to follow me on Twitter or interact on Twitter or ask me a question on Twitter. I'm at... M.I. Justin. That's the letter M, the letter I, and Justin. Be sure also to check out my new book. You can download a free chapter of Jolt. Go to justinjackson.ca slash jolt, J-O-L-T, and uh, let me know what you think. You can also email me, words at nerdnorth.com, and if you haven't checked it out, um, I have another podcast called Megamaker, megamaker.co, It's basically the story of my journey as an independent product creator, and if you're in that boat or you want to get into that boat, you might like it. So, megamaker.co. I just realized we've been doing this show since 2012 when Kyle Fox and I started it, and I'm hoping to release new episodes every month. Uh, Not as much as I used to, but you should stay subscribed because there are new episodes coming. I've got some recorded Also, if you've never left a review on iTunes, that would be amazing if you did. Just go to iTunes, search for for product people, and uh, click five stars. It's as easy as that. You can also leave a written review. All right, that's a lot of gabbing. See you next time.